Please pray with me. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we enjoy in this country. But most especially, we thank you for the freedom that you have afforded us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. So we're, we're doing the Independence Day scriptures today, if you haven't already figured it out. <laughs> and, and whenever 4th of July rolls around, I hearken back to my childhood. Because I lived in, I grew up in Fullerton. Dave and I both grew up in Fullerton. And Fullerton then was a really, really small town. Not like it is today with the university and all. Small town, lots of orange groves. And I lived on a cul-de-sac street. And I was blessed to live in this neighborhood because it was filled with families with children that were all about the same age. So we grew up together. And on any given day of the week, before or after school, and especially on weekends and the summers, we were always playing in the neighborhood. We would hop fences to go into our friends' neighborhoods, our friends' backyards, and we'd, we'd play baseball in the cul-de-sac part until we got too big and one of my peers hit the ball into one of the plate glass windows of our neighbor, and then we had to take our game elsewhere because, you know, suddenly we were strong enough to hit it that far. So we lived in this great neighborhood, and 4th of July was gigantic in this neighborhood. We, um, all the dads would um, bring the hoses up to, their hoses, garden hoses, up to the cul-de-sac end, and hose it down, and picnic tables, and barbecues, and they build a scaffolding for safe and sane, and then some not-so-safe-and-sane fireworks. And we had this huge thing, and the kids would, would um, wear red, white, and blue. We, oh, most of us got new little red, white, and blue outfits, and we put, decorated our bikes with the cards and the spokes. You know, the whole thing, it was a big deal. And the day started... This was one of my favorite things. Um, one of, the man that lived at the end of the cul-de-sac where we did all the festivities was a man named Ralph Dietrich. Does that name ring a bell with anybody that's lived in Orange County for a while? Well, Ralph was um, a not-so-honest businessman who became a not-so-honest, um, uh, not city councilman, but the county thing, a county supervisor who eventually went to jail. But Ralph was the guy that got all the not-so-safe-and-sane fireworks. He was able to get, you know, because of his connections, um, he was able to get the things that were illegal. And the day started for the kids, he'd sink a pipe in his grass um, of his lawn, and he'd take cherry bombs. And he'd put a cherry bomb in the pipe and a tennis ball on top, and we'd play three flies you're up until the ball exploded which lasted for about 15 or 20 minutes, and then that game was over, and then we went on to do other things. So I had this kind of, if you've seen the movie Sandlot, I lived in this kind of Sandlot, kind of perfect neighborhood where, as children, it was pretty carefree for us. And so, so 4th of July for me, and for I think most of the kids in the neighborhood, was really close to being as important of a day of the year as Christmas was. 
It was celebratory, super fun, and um, super special. Our, our parents made it a really great day for us. So celebrating freedom as Americans is important. I'm amazed at this parade that Huntington Beach has every year. It's kind of crazy. How many of you went? How many of you went? I mean, I'm not a real big crowd person, so I kind of don't go to parades. But boy, did we make the news this week for our big parade and all the people that were there and all the fun things that happened. So celebrating the freedom that we have as Americans is really important to us, obviously, by these parades and the festivities and the fireworks and all the cool stuff that happens on the 4th. And then it was really interesting to me and sad to me that this week was also a week where, um, where we had, in my opinion, kind of a shameful event down in Marietta. We had refugees coming from um, parts of South America where husbands, fathers, elders, and sons have been killed by drug lords. And so these women and children have been coming in droves, you've all heard it in the news, in droves to the United States seeking refuge and seeking an opportunity for peace and for safety. If, if you'll look at our collect for today, it really struck me as I was preparing this sermon for today what this collect says, and it says, grant that we and all the people of this land may have grace to maintain our liberties in righteousness and peace. And as we watched the news <laughs> um, and saw the response of some in Murrieta, not all, um, shouting slogans, chanting USA as they were not allowing these refugees to get off the buses and be processed by immigration and naturalization. With real hate, um, I found it, personally, I found it really upsetting. And I thought, where's the grace? Where's the righteousness? Where's the care? And then, of course, probably many of you thought of, you might not know her by name, Emma Lazarus, the American, Jewish-American poet who wrote in part, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed, to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Where's, where do you see that? Anybody know? Statue of Liberty, yeah. In that, I think she was, without even knowing it, she was echoing Jesus' words. Come to me, all of you who are labor, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's essentially what she was saying. Come, come, if you're going through a difficult time, we welcome you. And as Americans, unless we're Native Americans, we're all refugees. We're all immigrants. We all come from that, from that background. So I found the events really troubling in light of thinking about 
American freedom and what we, what we stand for and what we proclaim and the juxtaposition of what was happening with these refugees coming to us. And then I looked at Deuteronomy and I read in Deuteronomy what God's standard is for treatment of people. So if you look at Deuteronomy with me, um, God says, first of all, it says that God is mighty and awesome and he's the God of gods and Lord of lords. And then it says that God is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow. He loves the strangers, providing them with food and clothing. And then here's the kicker. You also shall love the stranger. Remember, you were wandering nomads, refugees in Egypt. And as people who know what that feels like, you also should welcome those that are outcast. And Jesus makes it clear in the gospel too, right? It's easy to love the people you know and that your friends and your family, but I'm calling you to love those that aren't familiar to you, that might be uncomfortable for you to love, those that we call our enemies. There's a strong, clear message in Scripture that we are to love and welcome all people, recognizing that their journey is not all that different from ours. They might come from a different place, their circum personal circumstances might be different, but, but we all struggle in this life. And we have a God that welcomes everybody and calls us to do the same. Now I know there's, you know, there's a lot of political issues surrounding immigration and closed borders, open borders, and I really don't want to go down that road, and, and I hope that I haven't offended anybody by what I've already said, because I want to keep the focus on what freedom really is and what, as people of God, people who experience freedom in Christ are really called to and required to do by God's law, not by our nation's law, but by God's law. So I want to do a little bit of a shift here, and I want to talk about with you what our personal mindset is like, how spiritually we respond in freedom to God, and then out of that response to God and the freedom that comes to us in Christ, how that enables us to welcome the stranger, to uh, care for the widows and orphans, to feed those that are hungry, and open up the borders of our hearts. Because to me, what happened in Murrieta was, was um, a picture of fear and looking at a situation that people found frightening and, and approaching it from a position of scarcity rather than abundance. Our psalm today, one, it long psalm, one of the lines says, you open, speaking about God, you open wide your hand and satisfy the needs of every living creature. 
What if we lived like that? What if our mindsets were such that there was always enough? There's always going to be enough. That we're not going to be in want if another person also receives God's abundance. What if we lived in, from a position of, of abundance rather than scarcity? Because as I thought about the response of the people in, in Murrieta, and I heard some of them interviewed, they were saying, they're going to take our jobs, and where are they going to live? And, and, and rent's going to go up, and you know, there are going to be people that we're going to have to take care of because they won't be able to take care of themselves. And, and so thinking kind of from a fearful point of view and thinking from a position of scarcity rather than abundance. So how do we switch our mindsets from fear, scarcity, to abundance and confidence? I think it starts, I know, for me personally, I know it starts recognizing that my freedom, my real freedom, is in Christ. I love my country. I love the fact that we have the freedom to practice religion, any religion we want, the freedom of speech, the freedom to vote, the freedom to choose where we're going to live. I love this country, don't get me wrong. But the real freedom, the freedom that no matter whether you live in the United States of America or you live in an oppressive regime somewhere else in the world, the freedom in Christ is a freedom that can never be taken away. Never be taken away. There's this song by this Christian artist named Stephen Curtis Chapman. Some of you might be familiar with his music. And it's called Remember Your Chains. And one part of it says, Remember your chains, the prison that once held you before the love of God broke through. Before the love of God broke through, the chains of scarcity versus abundance, the chains of fear, addiction, worry, financial concerns, a broken relationship, the chains that keep us in a place of fear rather than freedom, a place of scarcity rather than abundance. Because spiritually, we all, if we're honest with ourselves, have areas or have had areas in our lives where we've been chained. We've been imprisoned by an attitude we carry, a fear, a worry. And it, in, that, in that chain of whatever that thing is, you're probably thinking, I, I think I know what she's talking about, like that time when, or what I'm going through right now. But it keeps us from experiencing the love, the mercy, the grace, and the freedom that's in Christ. Those chains that keep us imprisoned prevent us from experiencing joy. Jesus said 
that he came to give release to the captives, right? And what I propose, what I think to be true, what I have experienced and know to be true in my own life, is there are things in my life that have held me captive. A grudge against somebody, fear or worry, heartbreak over the death of somebody, grieving in such a way that, that, that I've forgotten, I've lost touch with the grace that's still available to me. Not that grieving necessarily ever stops. My mom died over 20 years ago, and I still grieve her death. But not allowing those things that are difficult in our lives to define us, define who we are, because who we are in Christ, we're free people. We are free in a, to the depth of our being if we so allow God to set us free. So you know that line in the gospel where Jesus says, be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect? <laughs> I kind of go, yeah, right. <laughs> like, that's going to happen. I know myself well enough to know that, you know, that's an impossibility. But I think what he's really getting at, Jesus knows we're not going to be perfect. But what he's really getting at is, is that there is a more perfect way of being than staying in the place where we're imprisoned, staying in a place where we're chained by a broken relationship or guilt or grief or worry or fear or fill in the blank, right? And so, and, so, and I think God's, I know God's intention is to release us Release the captives. Release us. Remember your chains, the prison that once held you before the love of God broke through. So we have a lifetime of stuff that we have to get rid of <laughs> in order to fully experience God's grace, in order to fully experience the joy that's available to us in Jesus. And it's a lifetime process I used to think, oh, good, I got rid of that, and now I'm good. And then, you know, another thing pops up, and you're going, oh, man. So, so what I learned a pretty long time ago is a spiritual practice. I taught it to um, a heal, a people that came to a healing service a couple months ago, and I want to teach it to you, to you, too, if you don't know it. How many of you have heard of the palms up, palms down prayer? Okay, we've got a couple. Awesome. Ed? <laughs> Ed was at that service, right? It comes from St. John of the Cross. And so it's a pretty ancient prayer. And it's a really helpful prayer for releasing something that binds you. Releasing a fear, releasing guilt, releasing fill in the blank. And so it goes like this, and I want us to practice it today. So the sermon's over, and now we're going to practice, okay? <laughs> so you go, hallelujah, the sermon's over. So here's the practice. What you do is you get yourself in a comfortable seated position, and you 
feet on the ground, you know, flat on the ground. And I, when I do this, I close my eyes. But while I'm doing it and kind of demonstrating, you might want to keep your eyes open, and then I'm going to give you a chance to do it. You hold your hands open, and you take a situation. And I'm going to tell you an actual situation that happened to me where I was worrying, like, irrationally. My daughter came home from college. She's a, she is and still is um, a top-tier volleyball athlete, almost <coughs> made the Olympic team. Proud mama. So anyway, she was experiencing some heart issues, some heart symptoms. And so in the middle of night, as worriers tend to do, I started worrying about my daughter. We had an appointment with the doctor the next day. You know, I was thinking, and here's how the worrying went. Oh, it's going to end her, vo her volleyball career. The thing that she loves the most, it's going to end her volleyball career. And then the worrying went to, oh, she's going to die. And then the worrying went to, oh, my grief over her dying. I mean, I had her dead and buried, right? This 20-year-old kid. That's how the cycle of worry works. And some of you probably are familiar with that. So I, this whole thing went into this huge thing. So I was awake almost the entire night. And at about 4 or 5 in the morning, I was going, this is ridiculous. I need some sleep. And I was crying. And, you know, it was, it was silly. And so I remembered finally at 4 or 5 in the morning, the palms up, palms down prayer. And so what I did is the palms up, palms down prayer is really simple. You feel the weight in your upturned palms of the thing that is binding you. For me, it was worry over my daughter's health, okay? And you sit with it, and you actually wait until you feel the physical weight of that burden, of that thing that is a chain for you, is, is, is preventing you from experiencing God's perfect freedom. And then when you're ready, when you've felt the weight of it and held it, and you're just going, I can't take this anymore, then you turn your palms over and say something like, I give it to you, Lord Jesus, or, or take this from me. Okay? Because I'd worried the entire night over my daughter, I gave it to Jesus about ten times before I finally really gave it to Jesus. And do you want to know what happened? Immediate clarity. I realized that my asthmatic, athletic daughter had been on a new medicine. And I realized because I no longer was like torn up by this worry and fear over my kid, I had clarity of thinking, thinking I was free to think rationally. And I realized it was probably the medicine and my daughter wasn't going to die of a heart attack at age 20. And within 10 minutes, she ran into our bedroom at 5 or 5.30 in the morning. Guess what? I think I know what it is. The medicine. And that's what it was. Freedom, right? Freedom. But the chain of the worry kept me imprisoned all night long. All night long. Until I finally... 
I could have had a V8, you know, it's one of those kind of moments. Why didn't I do this when I first started worrying about it, you know? So that's how it works. And in our human nature, we often will take it back. You know, we say we're going to give it to you, God, and then we take it back. And don't beat yourself up if you take it back. Just give it to God again until you really, really do get rid of it. So let's practice that. Let's hold our palms up. And if you have a situation or, or a personal characteristic or something that you feel binds you or um, imprisons you somehow from experiencing God's freedom in your life, the freedom in Christ, that's the thing I want you to kind of hold and feel the weight of. And just sit with it. For some of us, the weight becomes unbearable. And when you get to that point, you turn your palms over and offer it to Christ, release it to Christ. Remember your chains, the prison that once held you until the love of God broke through. Amen.